0: We turn this morning to Psalm 57. We're taking a, uh, a break just this week from our s- the series we've been in to consider what will be our Psalm of the Month for March. Uh, for the month of March, Psalm 57, or Selection B, will be the uh, Psalm of the Month there. We'll read this whole Psalm uh, together this morning your God's holy infallible word. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me. My soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He approaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. How many of you have had the experience of uh, watching your favorite sports team, maybe, playing in a big game, a uh, close game, there's emotional ups and downs, uh, often tension, excitement, disappointment, um, but maybe you've had also then the experience of watching uh, such a game recorded, uh, where you knew the outcome, and it totally changes the way you watch, it flattens a lot of those uh disappointments and fears and and so on. The same goes for a suspenseful, uh, scary movie. Uh, If if you've seen the the movie before, uh, the fear and suspense and tension uh, aren't there, or at least aren't aren't the same as the first time you saw it. Uh, My wife sometimes will require uh, that I Tell her that Google whether a certain character is going to die or something bad is <laughs> going to happen as a condition for whether we continue watching, uh, watching this movie. Um, the point is, when you know the ending, uh, it changes the way that you watch, um, it changes the experience. There's more confidence and calm. Well, David gives a, a great statement of contented resolve. In this psalm, for example, verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. Um, Yet it wasn't because things were going well for David. Um, He was facing great crisis, danger. He describes it like being in the middle of hungry lions who want to tear him apart. Uh, But the key to his contentment in crisis is that he's seen the movie, if you will. Um, He knows the ending. More than that, he knows the God God of the ending of the story. (laughs) Uh, we summarize two things that David's faith in in crisis are founded on in this psalm, as uh, God's plans will always succeed, uh, and secondly, the the plans of Satan will never succeed. Uh, They will always be floated. So we're going to look at this, this expression of faith from David's perspective, of course, here this morning. But, but I want you to have in mind two other perspectives as we look at this psalm as well. The one would be the perspective of Christ. Uh, and the, the New Testament makes clear we're to understand the psalms as prophetic of the experiences, the faith, the struggles, and so on of, of the Lord Jesus. And so I want to see how this psalm points to him. Then also think of it in terms of your perspective. Yeah. If you belong to Christ, you can make these words, this faith, this uh, song of worship yours because, not so much just because David lived it, but because the Lord Jesus lived it for you, uh, in your place and for your example. What I want to consider first, uh, as you see number one in your outline, is that faith in God assures that you will face opposition. An example of that in the psalm, if you look at the heading again, read that earlier, but it's uh, Saul of David, it says when he fled from Saul in the cave, and that's what we read from 1 Samuel 24. Uh, so the, the situation again is that Saul is still king, uh, David has been anointed king, though he's going to be king, and David, uh, whether people know that or not, David is more popular than Saul. Remember that uh, people are making up songs about David and praising him in the streets, and Saul does not like that very much at all, and so Saul has spent a lot of effort and time and resources uh, chasing David to kill him. And here's another example of that. Um, Saul has br- proved himself to be a, a horribly brutal leader. Um, when Saul earlier learned that uh, the priest Ahimelech had helped David to escape earlier when he was trying to kill him, Saul went down and killed Ahimelech and 84 other priests uh, and all their families. He's a, a horribly brutal leader. Peter uh, uh, trying to do the same to David and his family. So in 1 Samuel 24, David's hiding in a cave from this man uh, with a few hundred men, and Saul is outside the cave with thousands of men uh, looking for David. Uh, so David describes this poetically in verse 4: My soul is among lions; I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, their tongue a sharp sword. The uh, imagery of lions of horses, hungry lions who would eat him, uh, that would be their, their only purpose. Uh, these men out there, those who breathe forth fire, is, is literally uh, devouring fires. Uh, but He's talking about these these men, not literal fire. Uh, they're bent on destroying him. Uh, he describes their... Teeth like spears, their tongue like a sharp sword—metaphors for their their only purpose is to kill him. Uh, that's why Saul has called these choice men together, and they're they're outside the cave uh, looking for David. But I want you to think about why why is David in this situation? Uh, consider that in large part it's because David is pursuing God's call in his life. He could have fled that call. He could have said, "No, this is." This is not for me. It's, it's too dangerous. Uh, he, he, just a couple chapters, just a few chapters before, lamented to his good friend Jonathan, Saul's son. He said, as the Lord lives, there's but a step between me and death. This is what David's life has been like since he, he accepted God's call uh, and anointment, an anointing. And um, you could just easily say it's too much trouble. It's, it's meant being on the run and away from his family and facing hunger and danger, waiting years for God's promises. He could have thought, you know, it would be much easier just to stay home with my family and live an ordinary, safe, uh, regular life. Uh, but David chose to risk the hazards of God's call, being God's anointed king. And that meant that God's enemies would be after him especially. Uh, he would be a marked man. Of course, that's, that is prophetic of Jesus. Imagine Jesus singing, praying these words, uh, surrounded by opponents, by people wanting to stone him on, on an occasion, and, and especially on the cross. My life is among lions. It's, it's similar to what Jesus says in, in Psalm 22 of his experience on the cross. There it's, it's dogs and other ravenous beasts circling him. Chiefly, Lord Jesus was opposed by Satan and his demons every every moment of his ministry. And how did Jesus get there, if you will? It was, it was by obediently following the call of his father. He lived as a, as a marked man, marked by the enemy for destruction. Consider your perspective. You face lions uh, of sorts, uh, hard, difficult circumstances, the illnesses or death or conflict or opposition from enemies of God or opposition from the people of God at times, maybe sometimes even harder, behind all that is it is the kingdom of Satan wanting you to fail, wanting you to uh, fall apart, wanting sin to tear you away from God or, or tear your, your family apart, bring shame to you and your God. Uh, Jesus assured his people that this would be so, this would be our experience uh, as it was His. <clears throat> More, more boldly and consistently that you stand for Christ, the more that you are, in a sense, for for the enemy, the kingdom of Satan, a marked man, a marked woman, um, a target of the enemy's opposition. And some people conclude, "You know, I I don't want this. This this is the cost is too high. It's not what I signed up for. It's not what I thought this this Christianity was." Why, Lord? Why me, Lord? All kinds of questions like this. I I read a few years ago about a um, a guy in Oslo, uh, Norway. He's a Norwegian heavy metal singer, which is not something I'm into. But it was an interesting <laughs> political story. He um th- the city was in need of um, some backup candidates on an election for the city council or something like that. Um, by law, they had to have a certain number of candidates, and so. Someone convinced him to be on the ballot, they assured him, you're not gonna be elected, um, and, and he thought it was an opportunity to you know, speak to some causes that, that he was interested in. Um, but he made clear he didn't wanna be elected, and he didn't campaign at all. Well, he, he grew in popularity so much, gained a lot of attention, he ended up running an anti-campaign, putting up posters that said, don't vote for me. Um, and that gained even more attention, and he ended up being elected uh, to city council. That's the sort of temptation we can face at times, Lord. This is not what I signed up to. Why, why did you call me? Uh, I don't want this. Pick someone else. That's not the sort of faithful worship that we see in this psalm. So look, look secondly on your outline there at the faithful, contented worship of David, even in his crisis in this psalm. Uh, several characteristics of it. Uh, first, it's it's dependent. Uh, David humbly expresses his Total dependence on God. He's at God's mercy. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that David is, is sort of throwing up his hands and giving up. It doesn't mean he's not going to continue to do all that he can to uh, protect his family, protect his men who are, who are serving with him, to be obedient. But, but ultimately, uh, his life is up to God. And, and what happens is, is a matter of whether God will be merciful. This is how the psalm begins. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you. Uh, there is no claim to his own uh, deserving of this. Uh, his rescue would not ultimately because he outsmarted Saul or because he hid well enough or because he was uh, faster than Saul or whatever. It would be by God's sheer grace and mercy. Uh, he, he again professes to take refuge in God. That's an interesting choice of words given where David is. He's, he's in a cave. He's taking refuge in a cave. But his refuge is in God. And he's acknowledging that God may use the cave to save David. He may use the cave to hide him. But the, a, a cave in David's situation could just as easily become a death trap. Right? If there's any inclination, or any, any hint but for the men outside that, that David and his men are in the cave, uh, they're trapped. And that's true of any, any good thing by which we have security in this life. It may be security for us. It may be God's blessing. But only if that's by God's mercy and grace. right? A good income can just as easily serve to uh, protect your family and so on as, as to lure you into greed and, and sin. Uh, a car can uh, transport you and protect you. It can just as easily crush you in a wreck. Uh, medicine can cure you. It can kill you by way of reaction or overdose or something. Uh, David is acknowledging that all things are by God's uh, grace and mercy. This expresses the dependent uh, faith of Jesus uh, that we see in his life as well. Uh, Jesus, maybe the best example of that is how Jesus spent hours uh, and hours on many different occasions, and certainly we don't have recorded anywhere near all of them in the Gospels, uh, in prayer, a whole night's. That Jesus would stay up all night uh, and pray, uh, independence on the God. Uh, the second characteristic of David's contented worship in crisis here is that it trusts God to act. He trusts God to act. You remember the rest of the story that we read. Saul comes into the same cave where David and his men are hiding. It must be a pretty big, a pretty big deep cave. Um, he comes alone he, to, to relieve himself. It says he evidently maybe took a nap too, and, and David. Is urged by his men to take the opportunity to end Saul's life. This this brutal man who's destroyed many families is is trying to kill God's anointed in uh, David. And David refuses. He he cuts a piece of, of Saul's robe off. Uh, uses that later as an example to Saul that he you know of, of his innocence. He's not trying to kill Saul. Uh, you recall that shortly after, David has another opportunity to kill Saul. Saul keeps repenting of chasing David, and then he does it again. Uh, so David again has Saul at his feet, sleeping in camp, and he refuses to take the opportunity to kill him. Uh, he responds there in First Samuel 26 to his men. He says, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he'll go down to battle and perish but the Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointing. We, we see that same kind of faith expressed in this psalm. Uh, not, not taking it, matter, it matters into his own hands or going in a different direction, but uh, waiting for the Lord's timing and action and will. Uh, look at verse 2 as well. where David uh, says, I, I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. Uh, he calls God first, but he calls God by two names here. He calls him first Elion, Elohim Elion, God most high. There's, there's no one, there's nothing higher than God. Uh, but the second half of the verse is probably also spoken as a, as a name for God. This is probably how David um, had this in mind in, in what he wrote. Uh, there's actually only. Two words in the second half of this verse. In the NAS here, this is one of those instances where, where translations get uh, quite different in how many words are used. I have to God who accomplishes all things for me. Uh, all David says was El Gomer uh, in Hebrew. Uh, El Gomer. Uh, gomer means to complete, uh, to finish, to bring something to an end. Uh, it's the God who finishes. Or the God who completes and, and, and the sense of it as it goes on is, is the God who, who finishes for me. Uh, the, the God who accomplishes unfailingly all that He's undertaken, all that He has promised for me. Uh, one, one reason to uh, expect that it's, besides the fact that it's just two words, El Gomer, like, like uh, many other names for God, uh, I think that it's, it's used as a name, um, is it's, it's a name elsewhere in the Old Testament. Um, you, you may recall, it's the name of Hosea's wife. We often Americanize it, Gomer. Uh, Gomer, Gomer. that's her name. Um, and, and, and the significance of that is not explained, but it seems rather ironic that Gomer has the name Gomer, uh, because she's not one who finishes and is faithful at all. And so it's, it seems there an ironic naming pointing to Hosea. And Hosea's faithfulness, he's the one who who finishes, is perfectly faithful to his his marriage vows, uh, despite Gomer not being uh, such. And of course that points and is a picture of God's covenant faithfulness. Uh, In Psalm 138, uh, I think we're seeing a piece of that at the end this morning, um, we have the active verb form of Gomer, or it says the lord will fulfill his purpose that's that's the word the lord will fulfill his purpose for me your steadfast love o lord endures forever god is el and david goes on in verse three he will send from heaven and save me when he approaches him who tramples upon me god will send forth his loving kindness and his truth david didn't know how that was going to happen um, what that would mean what kind of suffering uh, in, the, in the future, that would mean for him. But that's his confidence. And again, we see the faith of, of Jesus reflected in David's here. Uh, as a man, as a true man, Jesus didn't know every detail of what the Father would call him to suffer. Um, but he knew the Father was elbow there. The Father would accomplish, would finish what he called Jesus to do, what would he promise to him. We see that expressed in many ways in the Gospels. Thirdly, a third characteristic of David's worship here is that it's, it's concerned most for God's glory. Uh, there's a, a striking shift from the, the lions and the terror of verse 4 to verse 5. David says, be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. In other words, David's saying, God, show, show your exaltedness in this situation. Show that no one ranks higher than you. You you are overruling. However, this is going to play out, this cave situation, we read uh, how how God blessed uh, David's faithfulness in in the cave. Uh, But however this plays out, Lord, show that you overrule. He he shifts from calling on God as, as all powerful for God's help with the lions to praising God as all important. And, and confessing that the most important thing is not his own comfort or his own safety, but that God is glorified, that God is exalted uh, in this situation. Uh, the, the incredible thing for the Christian, uh, for all of us, is that those two things go together perfectly. Right, Our good, uh, our ultimate good, and peace and safety and God's glory. Uh, they're, they're not at odds. It's not one or the other. Um, and, and it's not that... We don't suffer many things for a time, but ultimately, the glory of God and God's plan being exalted uh, is our greatest possible good. The psalm speaks of David's resolve to worship God wholeheartedly, uh, undeserved, uh, unreservedly, uh, despite his circumstances. Verse 7, my heart is steadfast to God, my heart is steadfast I will sing, as yes, I will sing praises, awake my glory, awake harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. He's basically calling on himself, his inner self, his heart there to, to wake up, to worship God fully. Uh, I will awaken the dawn. The idea there is that this will be the, the first thing, my first priority um, in the morning, first priority of his day to worship God. I'm not... Not simply with uh, waking up with thoughts of all my troubles and my needs, but I'll awaken the dawn with with praise of God and seeking his glory. David goes on in verse 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Uh, it's, it's as great as mankind can conceive of up to the heavens and, and beyond. Again, this is prophetic of the faith of Jesus. David's David's ultimate concern being for God's glory uh, and not, not his own comfort or, or outcomes. Um, and Psalm 69 is quoted in Romans 15 as speaking of Jesus. It says, Zeal for your house consumes me. That's how Paul describes Jesus in Romans 15. Zeal for God's house, for God's glory consumes him. It's not his own danger or his own comfort that consumes the Lord Jesus' thoughts, but it's zeal for the Father's glory. John 12, a great example of this as well. Jesus said, now now is my soul troubled. Uh, And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Is, Is that what I should pray? Jesus says, but no. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I see Jesus expressing that same thing then fourthly and finally fourth characteristic of uh, David's worship here is that it rejoices that God thwarts all the plans of the enemy uh, verse 6 David says they have prepared a net for my steps my soul is bowed down they dug a pit before me they themselves have fallen into the midst of it they dug a pit and they fell into it uh, David had confidence that Saul's Saul's sin would not ultimately succeed, that that it would come back on him, and that his, David's faith, would be vindicated one day. And that's uh, a common theme in the Psalms and the Proverbs, this some kind of description of laying a trap and then falling into it. Uh, Psalm 7, he makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole he has made. Psalm 9, the nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. Uh, Proverbs 26, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Uh, if can give more examples as well. And, and we understand that that's, in some ways, this is how the world sort of naturally works. You, you do something stupid and, and you can expect some, some stupid consequences, painful consequences, right? Uh, we have sayings along this line. Your sins will find you out or crime doesn't pay. Uh, so we understand sometimes things work naturally like that. But David is expressing a greater confidence here. That the ways and plans of those who oppose God will will always fail. Ultimately, they will always ultimately backfire. The plans of Satan and his kingdom always backfire because the plan of God is established sure; it never fails. Uh, my my former pastor years ago, I remember preaching on this this psalm and gave the example of wily coyote. If uh, you've seen Wiley Cody and, and Roadrunner, uh, every episode is the same. It's a variation on the same thing, right? Wiley Cody's chasing Roadrunner, uh, trying to catch him, but he's not fast enough, so he has to be clever. He has to dig a pit or he has to buy something from the Acme Corporation to try to catch Roadrunner. And every episode ends with uh, Wiley Cody falling in the pit that he dug, right? Like the song say, or, or getting caught in the trap from, from Acme. Um, which is sort of the idea here. I also read recently uh, um, about a guy named Sir Robert Watson Watt and a, a poem that he wrote uh, that is uh, sort of an illustration of this as well. He wrote this poem after getting pulled over by the police for speeding uh, in Canada. Um, and I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a little bit more about Sir Robert Watson Watt after I read the poem. Here, see if you can tell what what he's famous for. The, the poem is about radar technology, and he's getting pulled over. It says, Pity Sir Robert Watson Watt, strange target of this radar plot. And thus, with others I can mention the victim of his own invention. His magical all-seeing eye enabled cloudbound planes to fly. But now, by some ironic twist, it spots the speeding motorist... <laughs> And bites, no doubt, with legal wit, the hand that once created it. So Robert Watson Watt is maybe not quite the inventor of radar technology, but in some sense he is. He pioneered all the practical uses of it um, in weather technology, and planes, and then eventually it was applied to, you know, pulling people over, and he got pulled over by it. the victim of his own invention, he says, it bites the hand that once created it. But those are those are lighted examples of what what the Psalms and the Proverbs teach in in deadly earnest. Uh, they dug a pit; and they themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Now, you know, do the plans of the enemy and people who oppose the Lord succeed sometimes in in, in a temporal sense? Yeah, they they often do, right? Often. There's great suffering at, at the hands of evil people and, and, and evil plans, uh, but, but they only succeed temporally, right? Seemingly. Uh, because there's nothing outside of God's will. And, and every point of, of suffering and hardship, which is Satan's desire for you, for God's people, for your lives, it, it becomes an ironic backfire in his face, uh, even in this life. Right? becomes a sharing in the suffering of Christ that conforms us to him. Philippians 3, if if it's persecution, it's a sign of our faithfulness uh, and blessing, Matthew 5. uh, Suffering teaches us to look with the eyes of faith to an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4. uh, These are ways that the plans of the enemy backfire. Always God's greatest example, the greatest example of this backfiring irony in history, is the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, in one sense, the ultimate plan, the ultimate goal and trap of Satan seems to have succeeded. Killing the Son of God. Uh, the world was full of sin, lying under the curse and condemnation of God for thousands of years since the fall. And now God has sent his own Son. And, and the kingdom of darkness had succeeded in putting him to death. Right? But the plans of Satan always are thwarted, they always backfire. It was in the cross that the sins of all of those who trust in Jesus were, were punished and forgiven. It was on the cross that all that Satan had used to accuse people uh, before God was, was wiped clean. It was on the cross that God's love for the world and plan to save was fulfilled, not defeated. And it was on the cross, the stage was set for, for Christ's greatest triumph in the resurrection, rising from the dead. So Satan's greatest triumph was his greatest defeat right in that day. And that's true for all who trust in Jesus. And in all of your trials, you, you share in that certain uh, victory of Christ. Satan continues his attack on you, on the church, God continues to thwart his plans. Where persecution exists, God is often pleased through it to bring great, great growth to the church. The plans backfire. And there are many examples, we could cite of that from history, you could cite examples of this principle from your own life, I'm sure. Um, there are many ways we don't always see how God is at work in that, but we continue to trust and to worship uh, El Merah. The God who finishes, the God who thwarts all the plans of the enemy yeah. to his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word once again this morning. Uh, we thank you for the example of David and his uh, contented worship uh, in, in danger and fear and crisis. Uh, for his dependence on you. Uh, we thank you for the way this, this points us. Uh, to the perfect example of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we thank you that we can make these words ours uh, because of his death and resurrection, uh, his, his faithful obedience to you. Uh, we pray all this in his name. Amen.